And welcome back to Tangential Banter. After a long hiatus, we are back. My name is Ben Mel. I'm here with my co-host, Jack Korzanowski. Ahoy there. Good to hear from you again, Jack. Spend a little time diving into the questions that the world has that we're here to seek answers for. Yeah, but they're the questions that nobody really thinks about. Except us. Yeah. But we're so, told that our commentary and our banter is interesting, so we go ahead and at, answer the questions you didn't even know you had. Yeah, you never bothered to ask. Probably so. for good reason. Probably so. But we've been off for so long, we're now freshly inspired, and we have a real whiz-banger barn burner of a question you to say, talk about today. Did you say barn burner? Yeah. Barn is, burner. That, is that a phrase? Uh, I don't know. What is now? Touche. I've heard it used before. What does it mean? Um, it means it's like it's a real conflagration. Mm. Like the party got so big, you know, like you having a bonfire, the party got so big that the actual barn burned down. Oh, geez. I don't know if that's the origin of it or not, but that's the sense. Like it got so crazy that they burnt the barn barn down or something? Yeah. Nice. So we've already gotten off on a tangent with phrases. That yeah. We could eventually talk about all the idioms that Engl the English language uses, at least in yeah. American English, and how difficult that must be for people who are English as a second language. Because I don't know if, or it's, if it's the same if like other languages use as many idioms as American English does, but I think American English is kind of nuts. Like right there, it's nuts. That's hard even for native English speakers. Yeah. Also, I think it's difficult. Um, idioms are really problematic for people who think they speak English and then go to another English speaking country and realize they don't understand what's being said. You know what I mean? Like, uh, if you were to go to Great Britain or Australia and they've oh. got all these slang terms that we wouldn't understand, right? They're different. Right. Yeah, we'd understand the word, but we don't we would have no idea what they're talking about. Right. Yeah. For the most like part. There might be actual slang like made up words, but yeah. I see what you're saying. But anyway, that's not the tangent that we want to banter on about today. So Ben, why don't you get not. us started? What what are we here to talk about? We came here with a mission. Yeah, so our mission today is we are going to cast a pod about the topic of ranch. And specifically, the condiment ranch. And even more specifically, what is it? What is it made out of? And how did it become so popular? That's that's the burning question. How did ranch become so popular? And why is it like so obsessed over? Like to to a meme degree. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's become like this quintessentially Midwestern thing that, uh, yeah, you can put it on pizza, you can put it on salad. I don't know. There's so many different uses we can get into that. But uh, the question is, how did ranch come to be so popular? And the first question that I want to know, I mentioned, I want to know what it's made of, and I... The first question I want to ask is, is ranch made from raccoon milk? I'm just going to put it out there. 
Is that the, is that the solution? Why would you think that's what it's made out of? I don't know. It just came to mind as I was thinking about ranch. Oh, it's not like a burning question you've had or like you thought that when you were a kid or something? No, it's just it has such mysterious origins. I thought maybe raccoons were involved. Oh. And it's creamy. So, you know, there's got to be some sort of a cream base. So I, I think milk. that the I thought buttermilk was like the main ingredient to it, which is where it gets the creaminess well, there... and such from. There are definitely, sometimes ranch has buttermilk in the title, right? Depending on the brand, it'll say like buttermilk ranch. Oh, huh. But I don't know if that means they're trying to clarify that it could be made from different things or if that's a special kind of ranch that's mm. made from buttermilk. Oh, I see what you're saying. Well, okay, let's, so what it's made out of, obviously, I think, like, I have some, I got some ranch for research purposes ahead of time. I have a bottle of it in my fridge right now. Do you want me to go get it and start reading off the ingredients? Oh, that could be interesting. Yeah. Oh, my timer's going off. I am also making boiled eggs right now. So let me go take them off of the burner. And I was already going to the kitchen anyway to go break out the ranch. So it's a time or it's a timer made in heaven. Take that Are off. these hard boiled or soft boiled or some other type of boil? Oh, what is the difference between hard boiled and soft boiled eggs? That question uh, is always burned in my head, but it's one of those things where, like, when you hear the term hard boiled, I would always be like, is there such a thing as soft boiled or is that just me going crazy? And then when I'd hear the term soft boiled, I would think, is there a term called hard boiled or is it <laughs> me going crazy? Because I know obviously you can boil eggs. And I thought I had heard both of those terms individually, but I've never heard them together. So whenever I hear one, I think that that's just the term for boiled eggs. And I was just imagining the other one. Yep. And you would think you're like, well, boiling is the process, so it must be the same outcome. Yeah. But it's actually not the case. And I believe I may screw up which one is which, but um, so soft boil, well, hard boiled comes out with a fully solid yolk. Soft boiled, I believe the yolk is still uh, somewhat liquid, oh. um, as if as if it was like an over easy egg. Um, so it's still fluid, but then the process to get it there, the difference is one of them goes in the water before the water starts boiling, like you just put the water on the stove with the eggs in it mm -hmm. and bring it to a boil. The other one, you wait until the water is boiling, and then you put the eggs in. See, I thought that those are two, just two different ways of getting to the same result. Because what I've done in the past is, like the way I grew up, and when my mom would make boiled eggs, she would always boil the water and then drop the eggs in there, if uh -huh. I remember right. And when she would make them, they'd be fine. When I would make them, I'd always overcook them. And you get that okay. weird green brown that like kind of drab green uh, outside of the yolk. Um, yeah. And it's not bad. It's just that it could be better. It could be creamier yolk and not as rubbery egg white. But anyway, but then when I learned or not learned, but when I like um, I hadn't boiled eggs for years. So when I was like, Oh, I want to make some boiled eggs. Oh, but how long do you have to cook them for? So I just looked up online. How do you boil eggs? And those instructions said to put the eggs in the water and then boil them. Uh, bring the water to a boil, and then as soon as it starts boiling, you take the water, or you take the pot off of the heat, and then you let it sit there. And then the amount of time that it sits will determine how well cooked the egg is. 
And mm-hmm. if you only let it sit for like a couple minutes, your egg yolk on the inside will be really runny and stuff. And if you let it sit for too long, then again, it'll overcook and you'll get the green outside edge of the yolk. So you need to find that sweet spot in the middle. Um, Interesting. But then to your point about hard boil versus soft boil, because with the method that I use, all you have to do is modulate how long you leave the eggs in the, the, the hot water after it, you bring it to a boil. And then you take the, the heat off and you take the pot off the burner. And um, you can yep. get as hard or as soft boiled as you want. That makes more sense to me than how you get to temperature. It's what you do after you get there. Yeah. And I, I think too, if you were, to, I think you could do a similar sort of thing if you were to um, boil the water and then drop the eggs in and then just modulate how long you leave the eggs in the boiling water. It also makes me now wonder what would happen if you quenched the eggs after they were boiled. Well, that's actually what you're supposed to do. So you're supposed to take leave them in the hot water. So it was previously boiling water. Then you take it off the heat. So it's not boiling anymore, but still really hot. And then you leave the eggs in that hot water for however long you want. And then as soon as you hit that time, you take them out of that and you put them into a bowl of cold water. And then that's supposed to stop the cooking, the internal cooking. It, ar- it arrests the... Yeah cooking process yeah because yeah. if you were to just leave them in the hot water then you're just going to end up overcooking them every time sure yeah i was just thinking you would take them and put them on a plate or in a bowl or whatever but i guess you could use cold water would be more Which, effective yeah and you probably could it's just a matter of that wouldn't arrest the internal cooking process as quickly so you'd probably have to either take them out to reach the same level of cookedness you'd have to take them out of the hot water into the just open air sooner and then have to wait for them for a long time for them to cool off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the other question I had is what if you were to freeze the egg first mm. and then boil it, how would that change the texture? I will say that's a good question because whenever I like buy uh, meat and there's like one or there's like a couple pieces extra than I'll be able then I will be able to eat that week. I'll freeze them and then I'll thaw them out the next week and then cook them. And those like chicken breasts, I know it works for chicken breasts. I'm not sure if it works for pork roast or chops or what have you. But those chicken breasts, when I freeze them and then thaw them and then cook them, they're always like more tender than if I did if I just never froze them. So they're like they're almost better. Yeah, I could imagine because the freezing process is going to damage some of the um like muscular fiber right yeah i think that's got to be what's going on so it would soften it i imagine mm-hmm. so maybe I'll, maybe I'll do that with eggs though just as a as an experiment i've never frozen an egg either so maybe like a pop can they'll just explode i don't know yeah i don't know either let's find out also makes me wonder if I mean, eggs absorb liquid, right? Because you can dye them with the for like Easter and stuff like that. But it doesn't dye the insides, does it? No, but I well, I guess that's a good point. I mean, the eggshell will soak it up. In fact, actually, maybe that has to do with the industrial cleaning process. Because I do you remember when Lonnie was uh, saying, hey, farm fresh eggs, and like she let us buy some farm fresh eggs off of 
her or wherever she got them from. And she said, you don't have to refrigerate these because they're farm fresh. And I had no idea what she was talking about. And I ended up, I think I looked that up later or I found it out later through some other means. But that is a thing. If you buy farm fresh eggs, you don't have to refrigerate them. But if you buy eggs from the grocery store, you do. And the reason why is because when the eggs come out of the chicken, there's a bunch of literal crap and like feathers and stuff, like, you know, covering the shell, not necessarily covering, but there's some mm-hmm. of it here and there. And what they do on the industrial side is that they clean all that stuff off. But in that process, by scrubbing the eggs, they remove a particular protective layer on the egg that is what seals the egg from the outside, at least from gas and, and maybe liquids. So when you clean them industrially, they are no longer airtight. There's air, air can leach through, through us, I guess, osmosis or something through the, through, through the shell. And then they can spoil that way. But if you buy the, the farm fresh eggs, that layer is still on there and it protects the innards and they don't go bad. See, I always thought the shell was at least semi-permeable so that the, um, exhaust gases from the developing chick could get out of the egg as it's going through gestation right? i guess or, I, I guess i guess not that's interesting but uh so that i guess the tra- there's a trade-off right if you don't have to refrigerate it it's still the outside of the egg is still potentially nasty that you would need to wash at before the time of use right to prevent from getting salmonella or e coli or something yes but if you just if you wash it immediately prior to cooking then you never have to refrigerate it sure yeah yeah that's an interesting trade-off yeah i i I would i thought lonnie was just pulling our leg or something or that was an old wives tale but nope that's a that's an actual thing the other thing is that eggs don't really um well i guess i would say they last a lot longer than most people would give them credit for and there's no real like expiration date per se you can i mean maybe your carton will say that there is but um they can last for months in the refrigerator and there's something about whether or not they sink or float that's i think it's if they float they're rotten and they've gone bad yeah because yep. that's a sign that there's gas like uh you mm-hmm. know uh de- decomposing material that's become gas uh and it's trapped on the inside but although that was there's, something there's got to be something about air getting in from the outside because if you have the egg and it's a sealed container um and gas can't get in or out if we assume that which i don't think is the case but let's assume that and the exhaust the exhaust the uh the gases from the the decaying process can't escape the actual overall density of the egg won't change because the same amount of mass is inside the same amount of volume. Ah, uh, true. Yeah. So what I think's probably going on is maybe if it as it starts rotting, the material of the egg, the actual white and the yolk, will kind of shrink down, and sure. that'll allow for more air. Either it's the decaying gases. Well, no, because the same mass. Is, so what would have to happen? I'm trying to think. It could be drying, right? There could be, or some. Oh no, no, no! the The opposite would have to happen. The actual guts, the white and the yolk, would have to expand. I'm trying to think, and maybe give off gas in the process, and some of that gas is able to, or it's just giving off gas and giving off mass, 
as it's decaying and then that gas can leach out of the egg because the protective layer is no longer there it's and giving off it's giving off gas mass gas mass yes and then by losing that mass but the volume doesn't change it becomes lighter and then they can start to float or maybe the and gases will pressurize the egg so it does actually expand a little bit and just that small change in volume is enough to tip the balance between it floats or it sinks because eggs are yep. almost like neutrally buoyant as they are mm -hmm. yep which is the reason that farts can sometimes smell like rotten eggs is because they're both giving off gas mass mm. science did yeah, you I wonder how long you can keep eggs in the fridge before they start going bad. I've never conducted that experiment. Anyway, you, you're about I, to add something. Well, I'll come back to that in a second. I was just, I learned that lesson uh, as a bachelor because it was like I'd get eggs and use them infrequently. And so I was never really sure, like, well, I don't remember when I bought these. Maybe they're good, maybe they're not. So I did some reading on it online. And yeah, it seemed to be they don't really go bad. And there's not a ton of risk um, to them aging, I guess. So that was interesting. And then also for most condiments, kind of swinging back full circle to ranch, uh, expiration dates, and really for most foods, expiration dates are basically just made up by the manufacturer. So in some cases, it's for liability reasons. They just don't want the risk of something going bad. And so they put a date that they're very confident nothing will have gone bad by on the container. Sure. Or, right. Or they will put um, for the customer experience, they don't want you to experience their product in any way that's stale or less than premium. Mm. So they'll put a, you know, a fresh buy date or a best buy date. But that doesn't mean it's gone bad. That just means um, that it may be of not as good of quality as they would like you to experience. Right. I will, and then it's, yeah. in some other instances, there's dates that I've come to believe are primarily just stamped on there as a way to drive more purchases mm. so if you think oh this isn't good or it's gone bad or it's past its expiration date uh and there's a difference between an expiration date and a use by date or a sell by date or whatever um but if you think it's gone past and so you're going to chuck it well then obviously you'll go buy a new one so it helps having some fear about food going bad helps sell more product so i used to go through and i would sort all my condiments or anything really in my fridge that had an expiration date every so often I just chuck anything that was past its date. And I've since stopped doing that. And now I just go based basically on my senses. So does it smell funny? Does it look funny? Or does it taste funny? If any of those things are true, then I'll chuck it. But otherwise, like if none of those are true, I'll keep it indefinitely for the most part. And I'll, I'll say too, with the, you know, the sense test, does it look, smell or taste funny? Even if it does one of those things, you know, smells or tastes a little bit funny. I'm just like, eh, it doesn't smell that bad. And then <laughs> <laughs> that's like your yellow flag. Is this not that bad? Waste not. If I get food sickness, then I'll know that I went too far. Yep. But I mean, the other thing I will say about food storage is that when you visit other countries and see how much food is left in the open air at room temperature, for extended periods of time and people aren't getting sick, you start to realize how much we overemphasize the importance of refrigeration and keeping things cold. I mean, it certainly does help extend the life of things in some cases, but 
I think it's much less of a necessity than we tend to believe on a daily basis. To your point about, um, oh, this food's expired. I need to get some more. I was talking with somebody at work about how uh, food waste, like I think it was, it was either the amount of food wasted in the country between industrial food waste, so um, restaurants or um, pre-packaging companies Mm -hmm. will get bulk food. And then they'll say something will go wrong and it, it'll like look weird in the package. Um, and then it'll say, oh, this won't sell. It's not bad. It's it's just it doesn't look as sellable. Throw it out. And apparently he was telling me that there are metrics on banana curvature. And if the bananas don't meet, like they come in o- o- on the boat from South America or wherever they're coming from. And if those if there's like a bunch of bananas that don't meet this um curve metric they throw them out yep i believe it so i mean if you yeah if you if you look at like root vegetables for example uh carrots right oh yeah you go look at carrots in a store and they're almost uniform but you go into a field and you look at the carrots that are actually being harvested and there's all kinds of wonky ones right there's weird shapes and sizes and whatever and that's true. That's true universally of fruits and vegetables. So what you're seeing in the store is, I don't know what you would call it. Maybe it probably ranges based on the actual um, plant, but it's got to be somewhere in the maybe 50% range. Maybe mm. it's higher. I, I don't know, but it's some, it's a pretty good number of rejects. Yeah. You know? Well, it's rejects. So this is another aspect too. It's a rejects for, the market where people they'll just sell them directly to people. I'm sure that a lot of the carrots that look really ugly are the carrots that then go on to be used for say carrot cake baby, or baby, or baby food. food. Yeah. yeah. The ones where yeah. you don't have to look at them. Yeah. Or shredded carrots or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's true. So, so it, it's it, not, yeah, yeah. It's not a hundred percent waste. It's just, it's everything has a grade, right? And visual grade is a significant component of fresh fruits and vegetables. And so only the ones meaning that whatever grade A go to the retail market and then the rest go to other uses. Now, the point I was going to say about food waste is the amount of food that's wasted between like industrial like companies and restaurants doing it versus residential. I think it was fairly even, if not more on the residential side. So if you're, if you listeners are tired of food waste, the best way of stopping that doing your part and not wasting food yourself. Worth there you go. And also buying, um, you know, those things that are maybe less than perfect mm-hmm. so that you're encouraging those places that sell them. They're like, Hey, Oh, people actually buy some of this mm-hmm. slightly less than perfect goods. Going back to the expiration date conversation, I, I meant to say this earlier, is the one thing where expiration dates are pretty spot on, like actual expiration, in my experience, has been milk. I was and, just going to say that, yeah. And other dairy products. That is like, you, like once you hit the expiration date, like the clock's ticking. Yeah. You got maybe it's, two days. I always feel like when I open a, a container of milk, and it's 
past the expiration and it still smells and tastes fine. I'm like, man, I hit the jackpot. (laughs) (laughs) Although I will also say, um, Sarah and I have been buying for, I don't know, past few months, we would buy um, packages, the like uh, plastic containers of salad greens, the pre-mixed salad greens. And are you saying um, salad grains as in grains of sand? No, greens, salad greens. Greens, okay. Yeah. So we would buy these, I don't know what they are, like little four-quart plastic hard-sided containers, and we would bring them back and, you know, use them to make salads. And those also have expiration dates on them that are, they're maybe a little bit less accurate, but it's like they will fall off a cliff. And it's usually like the purple cabbage or yeah. uh, there's there's something else but it starts to turn black Ooh. and then everything gets real nasty real quick yeah no well, i buy i buy salad mixed greens as well and you're right yeah they go they they'll go from good well in my experience they you can kind of tell a few days ahead of time that you know they're going south but yeah they start having a wonky smell to them they get really juicy which is weird yeah. and really wet. They, go, they go from crisp to wilted to like liquid almost, almost. soggy yeah yeah. But one what I was going to say though is we had one box of these greens that we purchased I don't know probably 2 weeks before our wedding and they expired or the like use by date was before the wedding uh-huh. and we got back from our honeymoon oh, no. and more and they were still okay they'd been in the fridge oh and we still used them afterwards so it was like 3 weeks past their use by date and they had somehow like miraculously survived in the <sighs> fridge drawer I've never had it happen before, yeah. but it was maybe it was they, like they had the ring yeah. of power and they'd been granted unusually long life. Yes, that's that. Did you bite into it? Say, like, what's this golden ring doing in here? <laughs> and For we Tara, couldn't see half of the my salad. <laughs> yeah, salad should start doing that. That's why nobody wants to eat salad. It's because it doesn't have the little toy like a Happy Meal. Oh yeah, and like, a... put like crossword puzzles on the lids and stuff. Yeah, call it a happy salad, throw a crossword puzzle on the bag and put a toy in it. Yeah. Everybody be eating salad. There you go. And perfect segue, you they'll end up just dousing it in ranch. That's true. But before we finish that segue, I want to go back to where we were talking about food waste. Yes. Because I think that number is around 40% of all food production ends up as waste. Oh, okay. yeah. Between... What you order and don't eat, or you buy and it goes bad and you throw it away, or you know all the industrial different things. Yeah, and I, a lot of the food waste, as, as I said, we don't see. It's before we even see the food, either at a restaurant yeah. or at the grocery store. A lot of it has been thrown away already. And then stores that stuff goes bad or it expires and they can't even give it away to charities and stuff because mm-hmm. of their their corporate liability policies or whatever, mm-hmm. or laws in some cases prevent them from doing so. And then that got me thinking about I read once that the amount of electricity, electrical power that's produced in the country, about 45% of it is wasted in the transmission process from power plant to residential consumption. So if you look at both food and power, upwards of 40% of what's produced is wasted before it, it's, it can be used, which if you're talking about trying to be sustainable and green in the long term, um, finding more efficient ways to consume what we already produce Mm. is actually a really good way to 
um, extend our resources is just being more efficient with the resources that we already are producing. Interesting, man. That's uh, both of those figures are unfortunate, aren't they? The it's a lot and... more than you ever would think about unless you start digging into it. Well, I know that uh, engines, for example, they, and this isn't due to anybody's fault or being negligent or lazy. This is just a fact of physics. Um, like when you burn gas or you burn diesel in the in the combustion chamber, um, I think it's about only half of it turns into energy that can be used to push the piston. So I'm not talking about like inefficiencies in the drivetrain, inefficiencies sure. how the engine's designed. I'm talking about when you burn that gas, boom, 50% of your energy is gone or unusable. Sure. It's heat, right? Instead of kinetic energy? Uh, not, no, it's not that simple. It's It does get wasted as heat, but it's heat that can't be captured. It it's, has to do with entropy, which is a very complicated subject. And oh, yeah. You can spend four years learning about it like I did and come out of it saying, yeah, I still don't understand it. You still scratch your head and you're like, well, I know where to look in the textbook for the tables that give me the entropy values. The, the best way of talking about entropy, in my experience, is that it's energy that gets like when you do some sort of reaction, whether it's physical or chemical and energy gets transferred from one state to another, some of it will get transferred into a state where it can't be recovered out from. And it's it, basically it, the f it's basically the funny math to make the law of conservation of mass and energy true. Uh, I mean, sure, uh, but I think where that came from was that they they noticed, or in theory, you know, energy should be um, uh, conserved, but they keep noticing like inefficiencies and and like imperfections. And okay, how do we account for those? And they discovered, oh wait, there are some that we can't. There's some energy we can't get back where it gets wasted. It gets put into the state where we can't harness it back out of, and then it's a lot. It's like lost forever. That's what it has to do with the heat death of the universe. What if this is just a thought that occurred to me that's never occurred to me before? What if entropy didn't exist before the fall of man? Ooh. What if that's part of the curse on the whole universe? Ooh. Oh, now we're getting deep. Boom. That could Man, be a separate I, topic in and of itself. I love these discussions. We started talking about ranch, immediately got off topic. <laughs> and now we're Hard left about... turn. <laughs> so, long, so we started talking about ranch, and long story short, we, we theorized that entropy is a symptom of the fall of man. <laughs> so, yes. Sidetrack, back to the sidetrack. Did you ever get your bottle of ranch from the fridge? Oh, I got it out like right away. It's been sitting on my desk ever oh, since okay. then. So you just been drinking it? Oh no. Oh, I I I think ranch is okay, but I'm I'm certainly not crazy about it. Um, it's good. Don't get me wrong, but to me, it just feels like it almost feels like you're just drinking. It feels too buttery to me. Like I'm very suspicious of it. That makes sense. Yeah. Like there's I, no way I can eat this on a regular basis and not gain 20 pounds. Yeah. It definitely has to be used sparingly. Yeah. And I, I would say I'm probably mostly skeptical of ranch 
Um, I would call it a mediocre uh, condiment. But unless it's been um, enhanced in some way. So if it's like a garlic Parmesan ranch or a peppercorn ranch or something like that, uh-huh. then it's then it's acceptable. But uh, just straight ranch, I'm not ranch. Enhance the ranch, yeah. That's my mantra. Enhance the ranch. Okay, so ingredients are in order. Vegetable oil, water, oh. buttermilk, sugar, salt, egg yolk, and then less of 1% of spices, garlic, onion, vinegar, phosphoric acid, xanthan gum, modified food starch, monosodium glutamate, natural flavors. Gosh, I don't like when they say natural flavors. It's just a like put the actual ingredients on there. Artificial mm-hmm. flavors. That's even worse. Disodium phosphate, sorbic acid, and calcium disodium, EDTA, added to preserve freshness. Disodium inosinate, inosinate, and, oh boy, guanylate, contains milk, soy, and egg. So I wonder if the phrase um, natural flavors or artificial flavors is an allowance from the FDA for companies to protect their trade secret mm. uh, ingredients. You know what I mean? So like the secret sauce, part of it, what makes it taste just exactly the way that they want it. If they can cover that with natural and artificial flavors, as long as it's lo- below a certain percentage or it doesn't include certain ingredients. Or maybe the FDA has to audit what those ingredients are and then says, okay, yeah, this is all safe. Go ahead and just yeah. natural flavors. Yeah. Okay. Actually, I know a handful of people who work in like food processing, um, chemical engineering. So I should run that by them and ask. You know what? So here's the thing. I was reading off those ingredients and I never saw one thing that jumped out to me as to explain what the bloody black specks in ranch are. What are, I'm looking this up on the Joodle machine right now. What are yeah, think... the black specks in ranch dressing? I feel like it's got to be black pepper. But are, but that wasn't that wasn't a, an ingredient. Could be a natural flavor. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, let's see. I'm going to go to the most reliable source on the uh, internet, also, also known as Reddit, and we're going to see what this says. <laughs> Ground pepper and other spices used in the recipe. Okay. Yep. Black specks are always pepper. That's my rule to live by. Hmm. Unless they're bugs. I was going to say, like, don't comb your hair. A bunch of black specks <laughs> come out and say, wow, look at all that pepper. That doesn't well, need to be you, treated. When you shake the pepper onto your head every morning, mm. keep it spicy, then it could be. Pepper is not spicy. Uh, if you get enough black pepper, it is spicy. No, I would say it's got a kick to it. I wouldn't call it spicy, though. I know what you mean. My, my, my brother used to make stew, like venison stew, that had so much black pepper in it that your mouth was burning like legitimately as if it was jalapeno or something it but was that is it is it capsaicin though or is it a different chemical because it's sort of to me it's the it's a similar sort of sensation or let me rephrase this it's a similar weird sensation that isn't quite the same as spicy foods it's kind of like horseradish horseradish has that very distinct strong i can't take any more of this sensation but it's not spicy it's something else yeah i mean but horseradish becomes like uh so what's the example um 
wasabi sauce, right? Is made from horseradish. Horse, horseradish. Actually, fun fact, yeah, wasa- there is a wasabi root, I think. It's its own thing, but most wasabi sauce, most wasabi products in the U.S., if not in the world, are just horseradish. Because so, actual wasabi is act- apparently very rare now. I think it's been over okay. over farmed or something. I can't remember exactly what it was. Sorry, continue. So, yeah, so I think of uh, wasabi sauce as ice to a jalapeno fire, right? Like they they ha- they produce a p- similar painful in, in extreme amounts, painful effect. But there's that sensation of something that's super cold and super hot actually feel very similar. Um, but it's almost the horseradish one is almost a minty where it feels like extremely cold, at least to me when I, if you're having wasabi, like I get my nasal passages and it just feels like almost icy, but it's that similar sensation. I would say. Yeah. Huh. I'll have to think about that. I, that's not, I don't, I'm not recalling feeling the same sensation, but next time I have wasabi, I'll have to, I'll have to think about that. If it's a sauce, I think the last time I had wasabi, like those wasabi, covered like peas or it's kind of like that dry covering which probably wouldn't have the same cooling effect as the sauce but i'll have to it's almost like when i eat something very spicy like with a high amount of capsaicin concentrated amount of capsaicin it almost feels like my tongue and my mouth are like sweating Mm -hmm. i think with wasabi or the horseradish flavoring it's almost as if that sweat had then been evaporated, right? You feel that evaporative cooling effect uh. very quickly. Uh, that's how I would describe it. It's not, I don't think that's actually what's happening, but it's like that. That's how I would imagine the effect feels based on the two different chemical compounds or whatever it is that produces that effect. But I would say black pepper is very much more on the hot side of that equation than the cool side. Like I, it makes my mouth feel much more like a jalapeno than mm. horseradish. Hmm. I would think it's like maybe a third category because it's certainly not wasabi. And I still don't think it's, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I haven't had black pepper so concentrated at the point where it felt spicy before, or at least recently. Um, you could just put some on a dish you make next. I just like load it up with black pepper and see what it's like. I think I actually did that somewhat recently and it didn't feel like spicy. It just felt like, wow, this is all I can taste is pepper. I had, I'll never forget this. I went and visited my sister-in-law in Arizona in 2016. And we went to a restaurant that I was nearby and I ordered a steak. It was a peppered steak. And usually they have like some full peppercorns, maybe a little bit of pepper on it. And then it'll be some kind of a peppered sauce. But it's, it's uh, I guess I would say restrained. This steak came out and it looked like they had literally breaded the steak in black and in ground black pepper. Like it had a layer of pepper that thick on it. Hmm. And, and I actually scraped all the pepper off and I was like trying to eat the steak and I couldn't finish it because there was so much residual pepper on the steak that it was, it was like unpalatable basically. That's a shame. I know it was sad because Pepper steak is amazing when it's done well. And this was like, I, I don't know what they thought they were doing, but it was staked pepper. It was, yeah. <laughs> it looked like they had a five gallon pail of ground black pepper and just threw the steak in it, rolled it around a few times. And then Maybe they had like, like a pepper shaker or like grinder or something to 
dispensed the pepper and the lid fell off so it just with pepper all over it and they said oh crap just give it to them well they were they were talking about food waste and so they're trying to save it yeah there you go yeah so yeah so back to ranch why one of the questions because we're already 40 minutes in why do you think it's so popular i have my own theories but you're the one who brought the question up so i'm interested to hear what you say well, yeah, and I think along with that is I still don't know what ranch tastes like. I couldn't tell you. Usually, a food or a sauce is like, well, this tastes like its ingredients, and I guess you could say it does taste like vegetable oil, or uh, I can't remember what the other ones were, but there are some of those obvious uh, factors. But it's not like, oh, I, it tastes like um, it's got some onion or garlic or whatever. Like none of those flavors come through very strongly. Mm. So I think my, my um, postulate here is that specifically because it's kind of a blah flavor. I mean, it's, it's, it's like generic savory flavor, right? So it doesn't immediately hit you with, Oh, it tastes like this or that or whatever. It's just kind of this middle of the road, very non-offensive savory flavor. And so I think that's part of what's made it so popular is because you can kind of use it wherever you want. It's like this jack of all trades mm-hmm. in terms of condiments uh, because it doesn't clash with anything. Um, and I think that's also part of why I, it's disinteresting to me is because it doesn't fit super well with anything either. It's like, mm-hmm. so it's neither hot nor cold. You know what I mean? It's kind of this lukewarm ingredient to be added to and I also think in general, sauces are used to cover up when the dish itself isn't that great. Oh, you think so? I In general, yeah. Hmm. So I tend to not eat salads with very much um, salad dressing. I used to eat them without salad dressing at all. Oh. I'll use some now just Bold. for a little bit of flavor. Um, but I also, I prefer uh, like barbecue without sauce. Like I want to just taste how the meat was prepared. Oh, yeah. So if I put sauce on it, it's either too dry or the meat doesn't have very much flavor. Mm. I respect that. So it's, it's not always true, but that's kind of the way that I've regarded food. So in my mind, when I see ranch being applied liberally to something, it's like, well, you want to taste the ranch, not the, I mean, this yeah. is how I'm, when the person, I'm looking at a person using a lot of ranch, it's like, you want to taste the ranch, not what's under the ranch. Right. So I, yeah, I agree. Th- it that. can't be that good if you want to taste the ranch. I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, in any instance when somebody's just loading up their food with a particular sauce, kind of like what you said, where the, it's, the sauce becomes so dominant that you'd only really use it because the dish itself is bad. Or let me rephrase that. You only use it as liberally as you mentioned when somebody really at the end of the day just wants the sauce because it's socially yeah. unacceptable just to take a spoon to it, <laughs> which and some I, people I, I'm sure do. Take a spoon to the sauce or to the... Yes. Yeah. Well, they'll just straight up drink ranch or something. I have known individuals who would eat ketchup straight out of the packet. Hmm. Um, someone, as a child, someone who ate a whole tub of butter. Oh! So, Oh, yep. no! Yep. How did they I mean, I'm not saying it's normal, but... Or maybe they did. I mean, it's... Yeah, I don't know. Oh, my question. gosh. So 
I still was a little surprised that vegetable oil was the first ingredient. I That's was too. I thought striking. And when, it's not surprising that it's an ingredient, but the fact that it was the first one that surprised me. Yeah. And it's gotta be like emulsified or something to make it, um, stay in suspension with the water and all the other stuff. Oh, and the that milk. It's, yeah. Yeah. That it's actually smooth and creamy and not separated like yeah. Italian dressing or some of the others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. I don't know how they do that. I didn't see anything about like ex so such and such chemical for an, as an emulsifier or something. Yeah. So I think in yeah in general coming back to that, I think its popularity is because it's it's a little bit savory. It can add a little bit of moisture if a dish is dry, um, but it's not offensive really in any way. It's just kind of there. Adds a little bit of flavor. Um, yeah, that's my that's my theory. Mm. My, for my part, I think it's it, it kind of goes back to the whole cheater ingredients conversation because ranch it, it's really creamy, it's really fatty, um, it's kind of got that distinct taste to it. But I, I think at the end of the day, it's because it's it's similar in concept to adding flavored butter to something. And sure, the flavor only helps the butter's case. But at the end of the day, you're just loading it up with fat. So, of course, it's going to taste better. Sure. And this is yeah. the Midwest where even a hint of capsaicin is met with, oh, that's too spicy for me. So they have to <laughs> turn to something and ranch is there to save the day because it's, as you said, not offensive. And it, I would say it tastes good. It's got a good taste to it. Um, but it's a combination of those factors. It's a cheater. It, it's it's a cheater ingredient. It's um, non-spicy and it's got a pretty good taste that does go well with stuff. And I think too, maybe this is actually exemplifying the non-spicy thing. I think it helps if something is spicy, kind of helps cool it. Oh, down. sure. Yeah. Which yeah. is definitely only going to help its case in the Midwest where again, it's just like, Oh, if you get like the mild wings at B dubs, right? Oh, that's too spicy for me. Bunch of lightweights. <laughs> So that actually made me think of another potential cause, which is in my mind, like, and this is just my observation. It, it could be completely false, but it seems like the lower quality or the cheaper the food, the higher the ratio of ranch availability and usage. So like school lunch cafeteria food, mm -hmm. if ranch is available, it's going to be used on everything. And they have like those bulk containers of it. But then like you go to a good restaurant and like you have to ask for ranch. If you get it, it's in a little dipping cup. Um, it's just not really an option. Okay. I think and, there's a matter of classiness at play here though. Like if you go to a high school, if you go to a school cafeteria, those kids don't know the first thing about a healthy diet. All they know is that ranch tastes good. So they of course are going to load it up with stuff or load well, it up with it. So this goes back to kind of the theories that the places with cheaper or especially like cafeteria food is not known for being flavorful or high quality or good in any way. Right. So part of my theory is people get used to putting ranch on crappy food like cafeteria food. And then it, it just becomes like the good flavor of what they're eating. And so they associate ranch with being, oh, this is something I like because it's better than cardboard pizza. Hmm. And so it's be something that becomes a part of their diet. They become accustomed to it. And then over time, it's like, well, I like ranch. So I put it on stuff. 
Oh, I could see that. I thought you were saying at first that like the the uh, the cafe, like the people who are managing the cafeteria or the people who are managing the re- the restaurants with low quality food are are admitting, oh wow, our food is crap. Quick, put out a tub of ranch to distract them. <laughs> 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 and I don't think that's what's going on. I think you know you know what people really like. They like ranch. We got to get some ranch out here. I think it's a matter of. Um, I think they're two symptoms of the same thing where if, oh, dang, I lost my train of thought. It had something to do with, oh, no, if, here's what it is. If you are selling low kind of crappy quality, low grade crappy quality food, such as at a high, as a school cafeteria or a crappy restaurant, you're obviously going to want to find the cheapest solution to make your food more appealing so they're just going to throw ranch out there because it's a cheap condiment and people love yeah. it yeah. whereas at a restaurant a, a higher class restaurant they don't want to do that one because i think then you associate I, I would certainly say that ranch is not the classiest of condiments no so i don't think i think just because of that that wh- whatever the wherever the association came from that's a different topic but I, although i think it's related to what i just said but then i think because of that restaurants who are trying to make a name for themselves as being decent don't want to load their customers up with ranch because they want to say no we're, we aren't classy but regardless of whether the food needs it whether regardless of whether it'll actually improve the food i think that they just wouldn't want to be seen being associated with ranch yeah. Yeah, I would say that's true. I think it also would be interesting. I think that's absolutely true with liquid ranch. And I think it's mostly true, but maybe slightly less true with um, like a powdered ranch. Because mm. I've seen some places where it's like if you put um, maybe like ranch potatoes or um, sometimes they'll have like ranch chips or crackers or I guess chips not at a restaurant but anyway I could see something that includes a ranch flavor or ranch seasoning that's dry being somehow slightly more classy than just the condiment itself oh yeah I I would agree to that I could see that being a thing because that's something where it's like you intentionally decided you wanted something to have that ranch flavor and so you've incorporated it into the recipe versus just like well this tastes bad let's put ranch on it with ranch. <laughs> uh, yeah, I still like that. That's a good idea. So, yeah, I think what we're getting at is ranch is almost a cheater ingredient in and of itself. I mean, it contains cheater ingredients, but then it's like a cheater condiment, basically, of a mixture of cheater ingredients. I, I would agree. And that's and this is actually one of the reasons why I appreciate mustard is because mustard is very flavorful. It's got a distinct flavor. And it's got no calories for the most part. There are there are mustards that do have cal like su- substantial calories in them, but that's because they add like <coughs> oils and creams to them because that's sort of the variety. But sure. um, most mustard and just your standard like yellow mustard has no calories in it. It's just like mustard, ground mustard seeds, vinegar, and salt, and that's like the extent of it. And water maybe. See, that's dill relish for me. It's basically just, um, yeah. Oh, chopped up pickles? Uh, chopped up pickles, yeah. Okay, actual relish that isn't loaded with sugar. 
I have seen re- like I think a lot of the relishes that I've tried over the years have been, and I, I, I think this is part of my problem when it comes to relish. I just haven't gotten relish a whole lot in my life. Um, yeah. And I think every, most of the time I've, I've had some like, oh, this is good relish because it is pretty much just chopped up pickles and maybe with some other spices in it. But then I've had other relish where it's just like, this is like sugary. I don't want this. Oh, yeah. So there's there's two different kinds. And sweet relish is the most common. And it is very sugary and gross. And I don't like it. Dill relish, and you got to check for it on the label that actually says dill relish, is um, it's basically just chopped up dill pickles in some dill juice. Yeah. And, I'll have to look for that then. And so it's it's super tasty and it's not sweet at all. It, yeah, it's just dill pickles. But anyway, it it spreads a little bit more evenly and you can put it on things like brats that don't readily accept pickle chips or whatever. Um, what that's is where I your, use it primarily. What is your, uh, your pickle readiness factor for your dish? Give me a number uh, your index. My index? Wow. I'd have to say it's at least a seven or an eight. <laughs> no, that's a boring scale. I'm going to say it's a, 27 (laughs) um and the reason for that being we have whole dill pickles pickle chips pickle relish i don't think we have pickle spears that's probably the the flaw in my game right now but i think basically every other variant of pickles i have available to go into a dish at the moment nice I'm a big pickle guy. If that wasn't clear, I love shout, I love pickles myself. I got shout um, out to Janae for making that connection. What connection? Oh, that you uh, like that I that I like pickles. Yeah. Oh yeah, pickles are awesome. They're they're pretty filling for kind of like the cost, and there's like very little calories in in them. So that's a plus. yeah. It's like five or ten calories per pickle, and it's ve- they're very flavorful, distinct flavor. Of course, you got to like the flavor. Yeah. True. Uh, pick, do you, pickle juice is a pretty effective um, bowel mover, if you will. If you, uh, I like the flavor of it too. Oh yeah, I love, I love the pickle flavor. I used to not like. I used to only eat when I was a kid. I never liked pickles on stuff. I would like pickles by their by themselves just fine. But I never wanted it in like a burger, for example. Now I just like mm-hmm. like load anything up with pickles, like a sandwich. Uh, They're so crunchy too. Pork chop, cereal, you know. Soda pop. Yeah. <laughs> hey, there you go. Put the just shove a, a pickle spear into your pop can. Wow. It's a garnish. Yeah. Wow. I hadn't thought of that. Also, similar to pickles are the uh banana pepper rings. Oh, that yeah. juice is bomb. I love it so much. The and pepperoncini. Yes. Although I feel like when you, when they say pepperoncini, they're spicier than the banana pepper rings. I don't think that they are. Do you I think mean, they're the same? I I've, I've looked this up before. I think I literally looked up what's the difference between a banana pepper and a pepperoncini, and it said they are the exact same thing. Hold on, banana. No. I'm gonna look this up. Banana I mean, pepper versus pepperoncini. What well, I believe that banana pepper oh. or. You were right. The main difference between pepperoncini and banana peppers is their heat level. Yes. I'm not crazy. Because I've had pepperoncinis that I'm like, these are banana peppers, and then they are hot. And I was like, oh, that's not what I wanted. But other, other than that, banana peppers are mild. And they're almost indistinguishable from one another. 
and I think it's the same pepper. It's just whatever juice goes into it, or maybe the pepper rings are. Uh, uh, da, 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 da. So now somehow... I'm on the Wikipedia page for pepperoncino. Oh. Oh, pepperoncini is the plural. I see. Banana. It's Italian for you. It looks like it. Yeah, it looks like they're definitely related to the banana pepper. But yeah, they're different things. I don't know what I found before, but uh, I was lied to. Wow. Yeah. What I was going to say, though, is either one pepper, uh, banana pepper rings or dill. That juice, there's some recipes that I found that you can make salsa with the juice. Mm. And, and it adds it adds this amazing uh, tang to the salsa. So it's like salsa, but with dill, it's like, mm, I love it. Huh, the paste or pepperoncino peppers or pepperoncini peppers um, on Wikipedia does not have an Italian language variant. Oh, the irony. <laughs> They're like, there's enough Italian on here already. We don't need to translate. Oh, look at this. Pepperoncino is the generic Italian name for hot chili peppers. Oh. Huh. Whereas in English, it's obviously just the that one specific variety. That's interesting. Does that mean that they have such little pepper variety in Italy that that's the only one that gets called that? Or do I they have a different name in Italy? I wouldn't think that Italy has low pepper variety. I mean, they're pretty Italian cuisine is pretty renowned for being relatively spicy, isn't it? I don't think so. I mean, it's tomato-based paste and pasta, right? That's uh, that's racist. Well, you asked me what I thought about their cuisine, and that's... You go to an Italian restaurant, it's all pasta, and it's not spicy. We got the red pepper flakes, we got the pepperoncinis. Anyway. Well... Huh. Today is asteroid day. That's interesting. Well, I feel like we've covered ranch pretty well. I don't. There's no stones unturned or lurking topics for ranch that we didn't talk about. Uh, I'm sure we could find some more stuff if we really wanted to. Well, um, we could. Well, let's ask our listeners, what more do you want to hear about ranch? Because we could do a part two if we really want. I think we got, we got pretty sidetracked. We didn't really devote this whole episode to ranch. Granted, that's part of the fun, right? Doing, going on the, yeah. bantering on the tangents. That's what the whole show is about. But so I would, we. I was gonna say, if people feel like we didn't do ranch justice, let us know. Or if you have another condiment you like us to rant about, yes, let us, definitely let us know that. I think we did talk about doing a, a condiment series. So if you have condiment ideas, feel free to let us know. Other than that, until next time. We will talk to you later on Tangential Banter.